0: Uh, I want you to turn your Bible this morning to the book of Ephesians with me. I want to talk today about the family, about the home particularly. You know, most uh, people think preacher, all preachers grew up in in Christian homes. You know, my dad was a preacher. No, my dad wasn't a preacher. And my mother was a drunk. And married eight times. I grew up in a home that uh, I heard things the little boys wants first to hear. And I saw things little boys weren't supposed to see. And I heard shotgun blasts go off in the middle of the night. And I wondered if my mother had killed my stepdad or my stepdad had killed my mother. So Satan attacks the homes today. And here's why he attacks the homes. Because we were created in the image of God. And we were to go out into all the earth and multiply. Everywhere uh, they saw us, they saw God because we were created in his image. So Satan hates anything that reminds him of God. And a family that's living in harmony with God is an expression of God in this earth, so Satan attacks us. So, and we need to be aware of that attack. So we're gonna look at uh, the home today. And I want you to open uh, again to Ephesians chapter five. We'll just look at a few verses. But I want to show you something that you don't have to have a seminary degree to understand. Look at verse 21. It says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Then verse 22 says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Let me tell you something that's true about any passage in the Bible. Verse 21 always comes before verse 22. Any book of the Bible... Any book of the Bible, verse 21, is always going to come before verse 22. Now, what does verse 21 say? It says we're to submit to one another. There's a mutual submission that takes place first. Then the wife is to submit to the husband as unto the Lord. And then let's read a couple more verses. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is also head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. If I were to say to probably the average husband in this room this morning, do you love your wife? You'd say yes. Do you love her as Christ loved the church? That's the qualification. Do you love your wife selflessly and sacrificially? Do you put your wife's needs before your needs? I've been in the ministry for over 50 years, and in those 50 years, I've never met one woman, not one woman, that mind submitting to the leadership of her husband if he loved her the way Christ loved the church. That is our responsibility. Now let's turn over to the sixth chapter and read a few verses there. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may be, live long upon the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want to base what I say today about the family on two things that I believe in very strongly, and I've based my ministry on these two things for 50 years, and that's this. The basic unit for religious life in America is still the home and not the church. In other words, families don't exist to support the church. The church exists to support families and to strengthen families. But the basic place where the teaching and instruction and, and, and example comes from should be in the family, should be in the home. And the second thing, and I believe very strongly, is this. The Bible ought to be our authority in everything that we do, especially in family matters. You know, cultures change and uh, philosophies change. But the Bible remains the same. Billy Graham said once that yesterday's immorality is today's morality. And it's, it's true. That's right. So cultures change. But the Bible remains the same. J. Edgar Hoover, who was head of the FBI in America for many, many years, said this one day. He said, the family is the hub of American life. As the family goes, so goes America. Now, if he's right, and I think he's right, we're in trouble in America. Almost everywhere you look, you see families that are breaking up. Divorce is on the increase. I read one magazine article that said that 70 percent of the marriages in america are in trouble george barna who does research said that you're one percent more likely to get a divorce if you're a christian than a non-christian what a horrible statistic i don't know where he got that you know marriage can be a holy wedlock or unholy deadlock (laughs) marriage can be a duel or a duet a good marriage is like heaven on earth I was married for 52 years. I lost my wife three years ago to Parkinson's. A good marriage is heaven on earth. Bad marriage can be the opposite of that. My question is this. Is that God's plan for marriages to break up? For families to fight? I don't think so. A woman made an appointment with her pastor one day and she said, I need to come in and talk to you. So they came in and sat down and he said what do we need to talk about today and she said I want to talk about marriage he said well, you know what the Bible says one man for one woman until death shall part you and I can't improve on that she said I don't want to improve on it I want to get in on it well let me tell you something a lot of people who have gotten in on it they want to get out of it I tell young ladies that are desperate some of them it's almost desperate to get married he said, there's only one thing worse than being single and wanting to get married. And that's being married and wanting to be single again. So today we're going to look at uh, some things that I hope will fix some of the problems in, in marriages today. And, uh, you know, our churches pray for revival, but I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that revival will never work in our church until it works at our address. And I tell people, if your Christianity is not working at home, don't export it. Don't export it. So I want to look at a formula this morning quickly with you. Then we'll look at, uh, I want to look at three things, I think, today that are st- destroying marriage. And then we'll look at a formula for, that God has in his word to combat that. Now, I've read the books. I know what the experts say. The experts will tell us that the three major problems in marriage today are in-laws sexual problems, and financial problems. Now, all three of those can be problems. I know a lot of families that live on, they're kind of on the lay awake plan. They stretch themselves out credit-wise and they're always under pressure. Did you get that, lay awake? Okay, I'm gonna make sure you got that. That's a key point. <laughs> so, I've read those books, I don't know what the experts say, but I've been in the ministry for 50 years, married for 52. And I'll tell you what I think the number one problem in marriage is today. It's not any of those three I just read. It's selfishness. It's me, mind, and I. That's okay to be me, mine, and I if you're single. But when you're getting married, the me, and I, and I change to we, ours, and us. I heard a story about a guy that asked a woman to marry him, and she said, yes. He said, wonderful. This is going to be a wonderful marriage. We're both in love with the same person. I'll let you think about those for just a minute, all right? You know what I've always been tempted to do? I don't get as many now, because I guess because I'm older, but I used to get a lot of wedding invitations. Well, when you get a wedding invitation, you're supposed to buy a gift, right? Well, here's what I'd like to start giving kids. I'd like to go down to the hardware store, and I would encourage some of you maybe to do this. Go down to the hardware store and buy a pair of real nice pliers. Wrap a bow around them. Put them in a fancy box. And put a note in it that says this. The two parts of this one tool has a tremendous force. But if you take them apart you can't drive a nail with it you can't turn a bolt with them. you can't do anything with them. and so is marriage if the two parts the two people are working at it it has a tremendous force but if they separate each other get distant from each other it doesn't work when I used to do marriage counseling I would have couples come in and this is what I would say to them if you set out in this marriage to make yourself happy, it's going to elude you. But if you set out in marriage to make this young man, and this young woman, the happiest people on the face of the earth, you're going to discover that a lot of happiness is going to come back your way. Because see, when you set out to make your goal to make her happy, you can be happy anytime you want to. You don't have to wait for her to do something or for him to do something because when you do something for them that makes you happy, then you control your own happiness. And somehow or another, it takes Christmas every year to remind us of that, doesn't it? I usually spend Christmas with my daughter and her three children, and when they give me a gift, I just kind of set it aside because that's not what makes me happy. What makes me happy is the, the look on their face when they open a the gift. That makes them happy. Selfishness. A second problem is a communication breakdown. I promise you something. When communication breaks down in marriage, problems begin, if they haven't already. Why is it that when we were recording, we could we could talk for hours on the phone? Do you remember that? Some of you look at me like, what? You know what I'm talking about. We'd be talking on the phone, and sometimes we'd go five minutes without saying a word, but we just knew that she was on the other end of the line. It was exciting. Then we get married, and a man thinks he's explained the whole day when he grunts twice. Comes home, well, how'd your day go? We need meaningful communication. And here are the three communication killers, temper, tears, and silence. And it usually goes like that. Somebody gets mad, or maybe both. The woman starts crying, and they both get silent. I bet there's at least one couple in this church that's on a three-day mad right now. And you really haven't spoken to each other. I mean, really spoken to each other in three days. And you don't even remember what you're mad about. I think one of my funniest uh, stories about communication problems is this old couple that had been married for years, and everybody could tell, you know, it was, it was problems. Finally, their kids forced them to go to a marriage counselor. So they went to a marriage counselor, and he sat there and listened to them talk and, you know, all the problems that they brought up. Finally, he walked over to that older lady, lifted her up out of the chair, gave her a great big hug. Great big hug set her back down, looked at her husband and said, she needs this three times a week. If she could get this hug three times a week, your marriage would be fine. He said, doc, you mean that's all there is? All these years we've had all these problems and it's as simple as that? Well, I can take care of that. I'll bring her by on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. (laughs) And you can hug her. (laughs) Now we laugh at that, but it's too so serious to, to be that funny, honestly. You know what wives need? Husbands, listen to me. Wives need meaningful communication. Let me tell you something that uh, I did when I was married. And I have a lady friend now. God has miraculously brought my high school sweetheart back into my life after 50-some-odd years. She lives in Austin, and... Uh, When I leave here today, I'll be headed down there to spend some time with her. But but this is what I've done. When we watch TV, I always keep the remote in my hand. And when my wife says something, I mute it. And at first she said, why are you muting it? Because what you have to say is more important than anything on that television. I want her to know that I mean that. And after a while, she'll get to the point where she'll say, don't mute it. (laughs) I just want to know, you know, something real quick. Meaningful communication. Wives need that. Husbands need that. But I think wives need it maybe more than us. The third problem that I've seen in about 50 years of marriage is failure to understand the difference between a man and a woman. Now, ladies, there's a difference. Uh, I know you can't stereotype people. You can't put everybody in a bucket and label a bucket. And and this is not a put down. This is the way God made us. I think God made men to look at things more logically. In other words, we apply logic to to, the decisions we make. And and women apply emotion. They apply emotions. And so that's especially true when it comes to child training. You know, we say, well, they, they, they cross the line. The, oh, you know, let's give them another chance. And, and this is something else I've noticed. Most men marry women hoping they won't change. I hope she stays the same. I hope 50 years from now she looks just like she looks right now. <laughs> Wake up. Okay, be realistic. But, uh, but most women marry men hoping they will change. But here's the, where the problem comes in. They want us to change, but they want us to change to see things the way they see them and not as the man sees them. And listen to me, ladies, that's not going to happen. Let me give you an example. You know how a woman buys... Let, let me just put it You know how a man buys a pair of shoes? We'll walk in a shoe store and we'll say, I'd like to see a pair of black wingtips size 11. He brings them out, we put them on, we walk a couple of steps. We say, I want them. We're out, of the, we're out of the store in 10 minutes. That's not how a woman buys a pair of shoes. My wife would go to the mall, Richland Mall. She'd look at every store that sells shoes. And she'd drive down the temples of that mall. And she'd look at all the shoe stores in that mall. Then she'd come back and buy that very first pair of shoes she saw in that first mall. And if I didn't let her have them, every time we drove by the mall, she'd look back at it like we left one of the children there. <laughs> you know, just kind of the, <laughs> that long, lingering look, you know. So, but in 52 years, my wife and I never fought. My children, both of my children will tell you I never hurt my father and father Because we we learned that the real enemy is not flesh and blood; it's the enemy behind it. We we wrestle not we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. So we knew that going in, and we just talked until we we resolved whatever the the issue was. Uh, But we need to learn to complement each other. We're different. God made us different. He made us different for a reason. We need to to learn to complement those differences. Now let's look at a formula for God's Word. We've looked at three problems as I've seen them in 50 years of ministry. Now let's look at the formula. What what is the formula for a successful marriage? Number one, there must be a commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm not talking about just going to church. A lot of marriages go to church and end up in divorce. I'm talking about a commitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Marriages are either, either gonna be founded on the rock or they're gonna go on the rocks. You're not ready for life until you've committed your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So we must, there must be a commitment of our life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Number two, there must be a determination to make it work. Too many people go into marriage like it was a lease purchase agreement like it was a 90-day option thing. No, you go into marriage with the idea we are going to make this work. We're going to work through these problems. You know, you remember those you people that are as old as I am, remember we used to buy 45 records? 45 records? Well, to get what you wanted on the side A, you had to take what was on side B. Remember that? Side B was never as good as side A. Well, sometime in marriage, in order to get what you want, you have to get some stuff maybe you don't want. (laughs) But what you want has to be more important to you than what you don't want. You see what I'm saying? I mean, marriage is a relationship, not a destination. Some people treat it like a destination. Whatever happened to old Bill, all he got married, like he got run over by a truck or something, you know, There was a man in the church, an older man, and everybody pretty well respected him. And he was very fit, very fit, and uh, for for a man that was almost 90 years old. One day, a young man walked up to him and said, "Sir, can I ask you a personal question?" He said, "Sure." He said, uh, "How old are you?" He said, "I'll be 90 my next birthday." He said, "Man, you are—you look great. You look like a 60-year-old man." you're physically fit, you know, you're not overweight, what's the secret to your longevity and and so forth, he said, well, he said, I've been married 70 years, he said, when I married my wife, I had an understanding with her that if I ever did anything to hack her off, or upset her, I'd just take a walk till she cooled off. He said, I guess over the last 70 years, I've lived pretty much an outdoors life. (laughs) But you know, that's working at it. That's working at it. And again, we just need to keep working at it. I've had young people come up to me, we've been married four or five years, so we're having problems. I say, well, stay married 40 or 50 more years, you'll have more problems. But if you're committed to Jesus Christ, and you're committed to make it work, and you'll work at making it work, you can work through those problems, I promise you. The third, excuse me, the third thing I see is this. There must be a constant demonstration of our love for each other. I've had people come to my office and about to get a divorce and I'd say, What seems to be the problem? Oh, I just kind of fell out of love with my wife. You don't fall out of love, you fall out of trees. (laughs) You fall in holes, but you don't fall out of love. What you do is you stop doing the things that make love grow. This is uh, my wristwatch, it's an Armani. I was told when I bought it that that was a good watch. But there's two ways I can stop this watch. I can take a hammer and I can just beat it. Or I can can beat it against something solid like this and I'm gonna stop that watch. Or there's another way to stop the watch. Just never change the battery. Never refresh the battery. Most marriages I've dealt with over the years aren't smashed because of infidelity. They've just let the battery run down, that battery of affection, that battery of emotion. And we need to do that. Old man looked at his wife one day and said, Honey, I love you so much. It's all I can do to keep from telling you. Well, tell her. Women Women need to know... Your wife needs to know that you still think she's pretty. My lady friend that I told you about, my high school sweetheart for three years, that God has supernaturally, miraculously, brought our lives back together. Uh, Now that I'm a widow and she's been a widower for about seven years, she's probably watching this broadcast right now. But she'll tell you this, every single day, I tell her how pretty she is. I say, you're so pretty. I'm so lucky to have you as my lady friend. I'm too old to use the word girlfriend. (laughs) So i call her my, my lady friend. And men, one of the greatest ways that you can demonstrate your love for your wife is to carve out time for her. You know how women spell love? T-I-M-E. My husband makes time for me. Time for meaningful communication. So I want to challenge you to do something. Before you go to bed tonight, I want you to, if you hadn't done it for a while, I want you to do something that is a meaningful communication of letting your wife know how much you love her. And when you do that, I hope you're not like the guy that decided one day he hadn't done that in a while. He needed to do it. So he took off from work early one day, went by the flower shop, got a dozen red roses and took them home to his wife. But he wanted to surprise her, so he didn't drive to the driveway, park in the garage. He parked in the front of the house and walked up, rang the doorbell. His wife came to the door, and he handed her the roses and said, Honey, I love you. Just wanted to show you how much I love you. Well, she started crying. Well, I'm from East Texas. We call it bawling. She started bawling. He said, What's wrong? I didn't mean to upset you. She said, Well, everything has gone wrong today. He said, The dog got out and bit the postman. One of the kids ran through the house and Broke one of my favorite vases. Now you've come home drunk. (laughs) So I want to challenge you to do something, but don't do it in a way that she'll think you're drunk, okay? Now let me say something about the last one, about children. Love and discipline your children. When I was a young preacher, I had a series of sermons entitled 10 Ways to Raise Your Kids, that I had to. I changed the series to 10 Suggestions (laughs) I'm Making About Raising raising Your Kids. And then they hit the teenage years. I changed the series one more time. 10 Questions I'm Asking about how to, how to rear your kids. But, but here, here's the thing that children need. They need love and acceptance. Two things I never had as a child. I can't remember my dad ever telling me he loved me. I can't remember my dad ever taking me hunting or fishing or any of that kind of thing. I remember my mother being drunk a lot. I remember wondering if I were really loved by my by my parents let me tell you men a good way to find out how to love your kids read the book of Proverbs a lot of good suggestions in there but one of the things you have to do is you have to learn to choose your battles when my son was a teenager he got real long hair that kind of bothered me because you know I'm kind of old fashioned I'll be 80 my next birthday I know there's a wave of unbelief going through the auditorium right now (laughs) That that's true. I'll be 80 my next birthday. It kind of reminds me of the story about the boy that came to his dad when they had long hair. He said, Dad, I'm 16 now. When do I get a car? He said, You'll get a car when you cut your hair and your grades come up. So guess what? His grades came up, but he didn't cut his hair. So he we went back to his dad to give him a report card. He said, Dad, look here. My grades have come up. Good, son. When are you going to cut your hair? He said, Dad, Jesus had long hair. He said, Yes, he did. And he walked everywhere he went. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Take time for your kids. My baby boy is 52 years old now. He may be watching online. He lives in Oklahoma. I heard a story one time, and I'll close with this. This man was a workaholic. Some of you may be workaholics. Never really had time for his boy. And finally his son begged him to take him fishing. And so he took off that afternoon and took his 12-year-old boy fishing. What he didn't know was that he kept a diary but, he but his 12-year-old son also kept a diary. On the day that he took his son fishing, the father wrote in his diary, I took my son fishing today. It was a wasted day. Later, he found out that on that same day, his son wrote in his diary and said, my dad took me fishing today. It's the greatest day of my life. Those kids will be gone before you know it. Spend time with them. Love them. Love them unconditionally. Love them the way they are. You know, the Bible says, raise up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And I think we mistranslated that verse. That means raise up a child in the way that that child should go. Your child may not want to be a football player. He may want to play in the band. Encourage him just as much. If you're a football player, encourage him just as much. Let me ask you a question, and I I am going to close with this. Is your marriage all it could be? Honestly, is it all it could be? In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to do something. If you'd say this morning, Barry, my marriage is not all that it could be. I I know it could be better. But I wanna make a fresh commitment today to make it better. And If you would do that, I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna ask you to do something in a moment. I'm gonna ask you to get up out of your chair and I'm gonna ask you to come and stand here at the front. And if you get out of your chair, and you come and stand here at the front, you're not saying my marriage is in trouble. You're not saying that at all. What you're saying is, I believe it could be better. And I'm going to make a new, fresh commitment this morning to do all I can to make it better. We understand each other? Let's stand together. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. and begin to play and do this. If you're here today and you want to say, Barry, I I, I just want to make a commitment to make it better. I want to make it better and I can make it better. Would you come and just stand here at the front? Because I want to pray over you. I want to pray over you, okay? Would you come and just stand right here, this gentleman right here. Anybody want to join him? Again, you're not saying your marriage is on the rocks. You're simply saying, I BELIEVE IT COULD BE BETTER, AND I WANT TO MAKE A FRESH COMMITMENT THIS MORNING TO MAKE IT ALL THAT GOD CAN MAKE IT, OKAY? WE'RE GOING TO WAIT JUST A MINUTE. Amen. If your wife's with you, just hold her hand. If you're not, just stand there. My wife's not here. My wife's in glory. My lady friend's in Austin watching this service. So let's pray. Let me just pray over you. Father, first of all, I break any ancestral curse that's been handed down to these couples from their parents, their grandparents, any member of their family, any ancestral curse that's been handed down, I break that right now in the name of Jesus. And we declare today, Lord, that you're the God of new beginnings. And sometimes in order to have a new beginning, there has to be forgiveness. So Father, I pray that if there's any couple standing here today that still hold bitterness or resentment or maybe anger unforgiveness toward their mate that in the name of jesus that would be broken today broken so that the life can just of jesus can just flow right through that and father you're the god of second chances new beginnings so i ask this morning lord for for a new beginning a new fresh beginning for each of these couples each of these individuals that are standing here today I pray for a a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit, a fresh anointing over their marriage. Help them to remember to get up every day and put that armor on. Help fathers to get up in, in the morning, as Job did, and offer a sacrifice for every one of his children in the event that Satan would come. We thank you today, Lord. Forgive us where we failed you. Empower us again by your Holy Spirit. Bless each family here this morning. Even those maybe standing out there that didn't come, but they know that they need a fresh start. Give them that fresh start today. In Jesus' name, amen.